My name is Stephen King. The ice is gonna break! Hello and welcome back to the KingCast. My name's Scott Wampler. And I'm Eric Vespi. And we are your hosts. We are here today to talk about, well, let's let's not get things out of order. Let's let's first talk about <laughs> our, our, our guest. Uh, this week's guest is one of our favorite colleagues. You've seen his bylines on The Guardian, Birth Movies Depp, New York Magazine. He also wrote TV for WWE and currently hosts the Full Court Chat comedy podcast, which you can, of course, find on iTunes, Spotify, and the like. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the KingCast stage, Mr. Dave Schilling. How are you doing today, Dave? Uh, fantastic. I feel so happy to be here. Um, Stephen King's Thinner is a movie near and dear to my heart. And is it? I'm sorry, Scott, uh-huh. that you didn't like it because you've already yeah. told me you didn't like this movie, and uh, that's too bad. I'm glad that you're leading off with an apology because I was going to demand one uh, either way. <laughs> I didn't direct it. Don't well, blame me. Well, you know, I would not have had to relive this magic uh, had you not picked this one for the show. So um, you and Tom Holland, you know, you guys can share that blame. But 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 that's fine. We'll get to why it may be near and dear to your heart in just a moment. But first of all, how are you doing? You holding up all right? Oh, I'm fine. Yes, it's incredibly hot in Los Angeles today. Uh, we're going through a heat wave as this is being recorded. So if I start panting like a dog, it's not mm-hmm. because the takes are hot. It's because the actual <laughs> temperature is hot. So I have a nice cold glass of water here to cool me down. I think I saw somebody on Twitter saying you guys are supposed to be keeping your your air conditioning at 78 degrees or something to That's avoid a moronic Go That's 10 insane. degrees lower than that, and you've got exactly where my air conditioner is right now. There's no fucking way. Like, it's so I, hot. It's 98 degrees, uh, which is not a joke about the band. It is just 98 <laughs> degrees right now. And yeah, I'm going to run my air conditioner until they start instituting rolling, rolling blackouts, which they will, because they're monsters and they don't care about us. We have to stay inside all the time <laughs> while it's hot. That's ridiculous, but it is what it is. Welcome to 2020. Such is life. I think uh, Austin degrees. got you beat. My, I just pulled up my weather app. We're at 104 right now. Oh, congratulations to yeah. Austin, Texas. Oh. <laughs> yes. People from Texas like to lord the heat of Texas over people who are not from Texas. Hi, boy. You don't know what heat <laughs> really is. It's 400 degrees out. Oh, it's, it's so uh, you know, it, it, we have to live with it. So we are going to, you know, we are going to lord that over people. Fine, it's sort welcome. of like how, you know, you guys get to have earthquake Twitter out there mm-hmm. in L.A. We don't get to have that. Oh, what you know? a treat. So, what a treat that it is. is. That's fun for you. a bunch of people waking up in the middle of the night <clears throat> screaming. What a treat. Actually, I'm kind of curious about that. What's it like being I've never been in an earthquake. I, I can't imagine I. Well, who knows how this year is going to go, but um, <laughs> I don't imagine I'll be in one anytime soon. Like, are, well, do they scare the shit out of you or are you just like, are they normalized to you now? I grew up in California. I've been in California oh, right basically my entire life. So it's normal in the sense that I expect them to happen and I don't panic when I find out that they are going on, but I'm also not 
a robot. So <laughs> if I <laughs> right. if I feel it and it's going on, you know, for those twenty seconds there that there are tremors, I'm a little nervous because your fight or flight reflex kicks in, and I have to think about okay, where's the exit? Do I know where the flashlight is in the house? Do we have batteries? How much canned food do we have? Did I fill up the Brita filter pitcher? <laughs> um, like that, the mental checklist goes off in 20 seconds because that's about how long they last. They don't last that long. So I've gone through this entire like preparation checklist and then it's over. Um, it's, it's bracing and, and strange, but I wouldn't say that it's terrifying because it's just part of growing up here and living here. I grew up in the Bay Area uh, and I was in, what was it, the 92 or 93 earthquake? I don't remember. The big one that that like destroyed half of San Francisco and everything. Oh, 1889 uh, the earthquake. earthquake. Yeah. Yep. I, I uh, couldn't remember the year, but I vividly remember the day it happened because I was no shit climbing a tree when it started. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, I, I, if it was 89, I was eight years old. And, uh, and I remember uh, it was like a, there's like a little park in the middle of the apartments that I was living in. And I remember kind of jumping down, you know, not being knocked down, but I jumped down and the world was moving in a way that I'd never seen it. And I'd been through earthquakes before. And what's crazy about that, that one is it lasted a very long time and it was right. a high magnitude for a long time. That's why so much damage happened but i've never seen the like the rolling that the concrete you know and and the the ground was doing you know like i could visibly see it and i remember my mom like yelling for me running out trying to keep her balance like running out of her the front door trying to trying to get to me and and uh like you know as a kid i was out in this completely open space so it didn't really I, I thought it was more fun <laughs> than, than than anything. I'm like, oh, this is weird. It didn't really scare me, but that kind of flipped whenever I saw how scared my mom was. Like, but up until that point, I was like, oh, this is this is crazy. Yeah, I grew up about three hours south of San Francisco in Merced, which is a, in Central California, and we could feel it down there. Yeah, I, I remember watching my dad mow the lawn because we were getting ready for the World Series to start. Because uh, I believe it was Game One. Ironically enough, San Francisco and Oakland in the World Series. And no my, shit. my mom comes running out of the house saying, there's an earthquake. And like I felt nothing. But she felt it. My dad felt it. I, I almost never feel earthquakes. Everyone who gets up in the middle of the night at 4 in the morning or, or 5 in the morning and says, was there an earthquake on Twitter? It's never me because I just sleep through it. <laughs> I just... I'm so attuned to the rotations of the earth and the vibrations of the planet that uh, I serenely coast through every earthquake. Well, that's a thing that, you know, people know about you. You are one with mother earth with Gaia. Yeah. yeah. I'm very yeah. chill. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about your Stephen King origin story. How did you, how did King first come onto your radar? Stephen King was probably <clears throat> made known to me through film adaptations. Okay. I was always a sci-fi person. I was always, I was a kid that was reading Asimov and Dune and stuff when I was a kid. Um, the Foundation trilogy was a big deal for me. 1984 was a big deal for me when I was very young. Well, not very young. You know, I wasn't for <laughs> reading Foundation. But I, di I did, you know, read a lot of sci-fi, uh, literary sci-fi when I was 10, 11, 12. 
So I didn't really interact with the Stephen King novels as much, but Misery, Carrie, the Stand miniseries, The Shining, mm-hmm. The Langoliers, like Stephen King is such a big deal to everyone. And we don't really think about it that mm-hmm. much. We don't. And that's why this podcast I think is amazing is because it's, it's like it's in the air that we breathe, but we don't really ever put our finger on it and say, this guy is probably the most influential American writer of all time. For sure. Certainly of our lifetimes, I think. I, of the 20th, 21st century. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, there's nobody who's... And if you just stack number of books sold against Mark Twain or Fitzgerald or something, Stephen King has sold more and written more. So it's it was just ubiquitous all the time. And I remember loving The Running Man, the movie. And I watched it all the time because it had Jesse the Body Ventura in it. And so it's like if there were wrestlers and Arnold Schwarzenegger, I was going to be into it. For this particular story, I was, for whatever reason, captivated by the commercial for Thinner. Which for the was, movie. For the movie, yeah. There were just right. these... It was, it was a, such a poorly shot and flat and ugly movie but there there are a couple moments in trailers throughout the 90s that i just can't get out of my head one of them is um the the line that i think it's david arquette says in the movie ravenous Mm -hmm. it's actually not arquette it's somebody else but somebody says he was licking me and that like that commercial played all the time when Uh i was a kid and it became like a running joke with me and my brother he was licking me (laughs) <laughs> such a stupid such a stupid thing to put in a trailer that didn't tell you it was about cannibalism. You didn't know Ravenous was about cannibalism. And then That reminds me of like there was this there was some fucking sci-fi Gary Sinise thing in the late nineties. And like the big hook of the trailer was someone going, It's a cyborg with a bomb in its ribcage. Like <laughs> and I I had to see that commercial like over and over and over again. And I never saw the movie, but I know very certainly what that movie is about now. It's about a cyborg with a bomb in its ribcage. There were always lines like that in trailers in, for movies back then. And you, you, like you said, even if you didn't see it, it's stuck into your mind because uh, for people our age, we watched so much television. Mm-hmm. It was just nonstop TV. And one of those trailers was thinner. And of course, it's the famous moment in both the book and the movie where the gypsy man uh, the Roma man. I don't even know if she should say gypsy because it's yeah, that's a whole conversation we're going about this willy nilly, very recklessly in the book and in the movie. But anyway, this this man, um, you know, he he runs his his bony fingers over our hero's face. I say hero in quotes, of course, and then mm-hmm. he just says in that in that accent, "Finna," and it just became such a funny thing for me to say. And my brother and I would do it to each other all the time. And I think the reason why, one of the reasons why I fell in love with my girlfriend, who I live with now, is because we both found that specific moment in the movie very funny. <laughs> so that is, that is why I love Thinner. Not because it is particularly good, but because it evokes a lot of memories of the specific way in which commercials and trailers were cut in the 90s. And you're not wrong because, like I mentioned to a few friends that we, I was uh, getting ready to do a thinner episode, and to the person, no matter who who they were, you know, some friends in California, some friends in Canada, so whatever. Like I would be talking to them, and they would, you know, like, oh, what's your next one? The thinner, and they go thinner. Exactly. <laughs> thinner. It, it's so which good. is itself, 
really funny because it's uh, it's a Greek actor playing <laughs> playing the uh, the old gypsy man. Uh, I looked into this, by the way, this gypsy thing. I think we should address that because uh, I was concerned. Um, in fact, I was telling my wife earlier, I was like, I don't know how the fuck we're supposed to do a whole hour on thinner and avoid the minefield of using this word, which I know we're not supposed to use anymore, which is like repeated over and over and over again in the in the, both the book and the movie. But I looked into it and I think if I'm wrong about this, uh, please don't yell at me. I'm, I'm trying to do the right thing here. I think it's Romani. It's, I think yeah, that's the that uh, is, correct that terminology. The, the okay thing to say. Yes, absolutely. My wife, by the way, was blown away by this information. She had no idea you're not supposed to say the G word anymore. Well, it's sort of like Eskimo. Like we don't right, call them right. Eskimos anymore. And that started when I was in grade school. Was they're, they're Inuits. They're not Eskimos. And yet that just like, it's so stuck in people's minds. Also, yeah. you shouldn't say you gypped someone because that is literally a, a slur related to the Romani people stealing, quote unquote, stealing money from people. Yeah. Right. No, that was I, the I knew, exact I example I used when I was, I was telling my wife about this. I was like, well, yeah, this is why yeah. we don't say gypped anymore. She's like, I say gypped. I'm like, don't do that. Yeah, you can't, can't do that. No <laughs> I knew that part, but I, I guess it's my uh, uh, my white privilege in speaking. But I like I had no no idea that even like referring to you know the the people as quote unquote gypsy was not acceptable anymore. So uh, thank you for, for telling Dragon me. <laughs> well, it is yeah. uh, it is it is an. Un- Unfortunate, <laughs> but um, we'll we'll try to not step on that that mine as much as possible in this. But yeah, I saw this movie. I remember I saw it when it came out. I was at military school at the time, and there was you know a couple of little shitty theaters in the horrible little town where that school was located that we could go to on the weekends. And I was a big Stephen King nerd, and so we you know we went and saw Thinner the week it came out, and. Um, I remember liking it and I'm not sure that I ever watched it again until this podcast. And then I, I fired it up the other night and was like, man, I haven't seen this forever. This will be a treat. And within seconds, it was not a treat. This, (laughs) this is such an intensely ugly and repellent movie. Like from top to bottom, I didn't like any of the performances. I didn't like any of the characters. I didn't like the way it looked. I didn't like the way it sounded. I didn't like, like it was like an assault on the senses you know, not not obnoxiously so, but it kind of wore me down as I was watching it. And yeah, I was surprised to learn that Tom Holland directed it. I, I, I wouldn't say that it is offensive in the way that Biodome starring Polly Shore <laughs> is offensive. Uh, no, not is, at all. It is. There is nothing good about it. There is right. no redeeming quality. Like you can watch a bad movie. I recently watched the uh, ABC miniseries Wild Palms that came out in 1993 with mm-hmm. Jim Belushi and Robert Loggia based on this c- obscure comic book. And it's terribly written. The acting is by and large awful, but it's beautiful. And it has some interesting ideas and it... Um, has a couple cool action scenes, thanks to some directors like Catherine Bigelow, who knew what they were doing. This movie, on the other hand, is just everything fails miserably. And it is such a bleak and unpleasant movie that somehow took a, a Stephen King or a Richard Bachman book that had a downbeat ending. And they said, you know what? We got to change this ending. We got to <laughs> make sure that the lead survives. And then they make an ending 
that is even more depressing and even <laughs> darker than that. Yeah. Because and, and I don't want I don't know if we're going to like go through the entire story, but oh, just yeah. just to to throw this out there while we're talking about it, the ending pisses me off so much. Because the thing that makes the the Bachman book work is that you have seen this dark morality play or you've read this dark morality play for however many pages it is. And then the 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 protagonist gets his literal just desserts. He gets <laughs> his in the in the grand tradition of genre fiction where a character is morally compromised. If it's a twilight zone or if it's, you know, now a black mirror, there's the poetic justice of the character dying or suffering or going to prison or something and the and the the scales of morality are evened out and this this son of a bitch this motherfucker (laughs) gets no punishment whatsoever he allows his wife who he believes is cheating on him to die his daughter is gonna die and he's like let me give this pie to this a guy who's having sex with my wife and he gets what he wants. And that is the end. What yeah, the he... hell? <laughs> Why? Well, here, here's the, the interesting thing is my, my recollection of the Bachman book, which I haven't read in probably 10 years or so. Um, but my recollection is that uh, of course, if people listening to this, haven't read it, it's a guy. He accidentally runs over, uh, an old woman in the street and her husband or, or no, her, her, uh, her father, who is even, even older man <laughs> puts a curse on him and he loses weight and he's an overweight guy. He loses weight. Great at first. Not so great when he, you know, starts wasting away into nothing. And his, the whole book is him trying to lift this curse. The only way that he can get rid of the curse is to give it to somebody else. And they do that in the form of a really gross ass pie. Uh, and uh, whoever eats the pie gets like, will die a quick death. So my read of the ending in the book, my recollection of it was he wasn't retaking the curse back onto himself because it wasn't something like uh, the last person to eat the pie gets to, you know, we'll get the curse and die. It's like anybody who eats the pie, right? And the only person right. that this guy cares about in the whole wide world is his daughter, his teenage daughter. And he finds out that that she ate a piece of the pie. And so he, what he does is he, uh, you know, the wife eats the pie earlier and, you know, she's dead and that's great. And when he finds out the daughter has eaten a piece of the pie, he just can't live with uh, what he's done to her and that he knows that she's going to die horribly. So he eats the pie, too, to kill himself. It's a suicide thing. Right. Um, the way that the movie almost makes it. Uh, at least they're trying to paint it this way, but the rules are like, so not established the way the movie is, is like, he's almost going to be heroic and eat the pie to save his daughter. And then he doesn't. And then, uh, you know, he instead gives the, that quick death to the, the, the weird doctor dude that was banging his wife. Maybe is that how you guys read it? Like in the movie, do you think that the daughter is, is uh, still going to die no matter what? Yeah. 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 If you eat the pie, you're dead. You die. Right. The the Roman the Romani dude is pretty clear about that. It's like I forget how he phrases it in the book, but those, those are definitely death, right? those are definitely yeah those are definitely the rules. And and I I just reread like the last ten pages or so of the book uh, before we did this, and and that's correct. Like none of that shit with the doctor is in there, but you know that that ending sort of reeks of studio meddling at the last second. 
like a which like it, a reshot. Oh well, yeah. there you go. But yeah. he, the, Billy as a protagonist is so odious and defensive mm-hmm. and evil and narcissistic and slovenly and gluttonous right. that, that for him to get um, any sort of pyrrhic victory at the end, any any kind of glimmer of well, this is you know you got you got what you wanted is just offensive. It's wrong. And why would any studio head look at this movie and say? We need to make sure he survives because the audience will walk out of this wondering why he had to die because they loved him so much. No, we hate him. We fucking hate him. This guy yeah. is awful. And he he's sucks. played in, in, in a way by Robert John Burke, who also, of course, played RoboCop and RoboCop 3 and sucked right. in that too. I know yep. offense to Robert John Burke, but he was miscast in both of these movies. <laughs> I guarantee if this was... I hate to say it, if this was like a John Candy or if this was even Jason Alexander or or someone who is a comedic actor, I guess you would have to have it be someone in prosthetics because you have to have a quick lo- weight loss thing. So anybody who's like a comedic actor could have, have been be somebody super th- skinny. Yeah, yeah, it could have been um, Rick Moranis. If it had been someone who was funny and was able to make bad behavior charming. Yeah, Bill Not Murray. For... Yeah, sure. Anybody then at least you know you would have had the the joy of seeing that person make you laugh but robert john burke is is sort of like a degrade matt dillon or something <laughs> for and, real yeah and it comes across as really heinous yeah so it just doesn't work because that central performance in what's ostensibly supposed to be a black comedy is not comedic it's not nearly as comedic as it needs to be Robert John Burke not being funny, as you've already pointed out, is a big issue. A you huge know, he, issue. He just does not sell it. Within five minutes of the movie starting, you're like, I don't like this motherfucker. I don't like the cut of his jib. And it's just yeah. like how he's playing the character. You don't sympathize with the guy. You don't like him. And you want to keep him at arm's length. If you were in a room with this guy, you would immediately leave the fucking room. Which you don't is even a buy that he loves his daughter. No, no. Every, every, almost everything in this movie has sort of a, um, like a disingenuous feel to it. Yeah. And I think it's because they were trying to go for like a black comedy thing, but not sticking any of those landings. So it just has this weird tonal thing to it that's just sort of like distressing to watch. Right. I think Zemeckis could have killed this this story, you know, because mm. this would have been right around the Death Becomes Her era Zemeckis. Um, and, and he plays with a lot of the same thing where there's there's absolutely horrible people in that movie, but you love watching them and you love watching them be horrible to each other. Uh, There is that kind of feeling that's just not anywhere in this film. You're It's a, it's kind of a slog. It's, it's very dated. It's, it it doesn't really have any momentum. It's just stuff happening. I can't say that I, am a huge fan of the, the book either. It's not one of my favorite Kings, but I don't remember having that same problem while I was reading the book. I wasn't having a problem turning the pages or like checking my watch to see how, you know, (laughs) how much further I had to go or how long I've been at it, uh, which I did with the movie. I think that there is an, an implicit contract between the filmmaker and the viewer, at least in Hollywood, in, in big budget studio filmmaking, that you're going to like somebody. You're going to watch it and you're going to say, well, I enjoyed that character or I, I was invested in that character's mm-hmm. journey or I wanted to see how this would turn out for that character. Even if it's just a performance, like I said, that's entertaining, but not necessarily 
one that engenders empathy or sympathy or, or, or identification with a, with a book, you don't really have that need for everyone to be likable or for there to be a happy ending, especially not with, if you look at, you know, a lot of those Bachman books is they are much bleaker than even, you know, the typical Stephen King novel. So you kind of like, I'm strapped in, I'm going to read this kind of dark, satirical, angry book about someone not wanting to lose weight, which is (laughs) in my research, essentially why King wrote it and and put the Bachman name on it is because he wanted to write a really nasty, mean story about his doctors forcing him to lose weight and stop smoking. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I think that part of the problem is that I think what they were trying to go for in the movie is sort of like a Tales from the Crypt kind of kind of vibe. Mm. Yes. Uh, but the material itself is so nihilistic that and and the you know, as we've already pointed out, the, the cast is just not good. It's it's not delivering like on the the inherent goofiness that you would want in like a Tales from the Crypt sort of thing. It's sort of like fun horror, you know, kind of like kind of like creep show. There's none of that in here. And so You've got that weird tonal problem that's going on, but then it's also bolstered by that nihilistic Richard Bachman material. And it's that's that's always how Bachman shit is. Yeah, I mean, what's interesting, though, in about this book in particular is that this is one of the only books that we got from King as Richard Bachman, where he wrote it taking the personality of uh, the pseudonym that he'd set up all the other previous Bachman books were things he had written before he became published those were all of his early stories that were darker you know he may have rewritten them or something while he was enjoying his famous Stephen King but he those all you know Running Man and Long Walk and Rage and Roadwork those were all books that he had written prior to uh, publishing Carrie those were all little novellas pulpy things that he'd written Thinner is the one that he wrote while he was in at the height of his fame and notoriety as King, this is the one where he, you know, all the other ones he just kind of wrote as, as they came, this is the one where he put on a personality to write it. And it, you know, so that is, is kind of a fascinating uh, way to approach it. If you guys haven't read, um, and I, by you guys, I mean, you know, the people listening to this, I know you, both of you guys uh, read the book, but if anybody hasn't, you know, it's a very fascinating book for that purpose, because you can actually see King trying on a voice that's not exactly his. Yeah. A lot of people compare it to Donald Westlake and that he is trying to do kind of like a dime store sort of right. pulp, like ugly, um, brutish kind of authorial voice. And that's the case, and that's why it seems kind of insane to make this into a movie because it doesn't have any sort of narrative that lends itself to a movie. You start off with a character who is getting off mobsters and and you know this kind of sleazy lawyer. Then you have him murder an old woman. While he's getting serviced sexually, it's it's. I think it's a hand job in the book, and it's a blow job in the movie. <laughs> yeah, they upgraded for the movie. Yeah, you know, like, well done. I, think, I guess it was just easier to not have to show, you know, the hand gesture. You, you know, I think there's, I think there are certain MPA rules about, 
how many pumps you can display <laughs> on a hand job versus how many the head um, bobs are fine head, head bob. but, or if you just don't see a head bob because you don't really see her head very much as it's happening once her head goes down it's like you just know she's servicing him sexually but so by changing it to a blow job versus a hand job that relieves no pun intended the the uh the audience of wondering like well why didn't she see the Right. Romani woman in the in the road. Well, That's she's getting getting down to business, you know. But yeah. with a hand job, conceivably, you know, she's still looking around, right. perhaps she's a party, or out the windshield. She's more of an accomplice at that point, and that makes her truly heinous. But think about where we go by the end of the movie versus the end of the book. At the end of the movie, we've got all this stuff with the doctor and the cheating and everything, and her dying is supposed to feel righteous in some way. Like, you're supposed to, I guess, be happy that she's going to die from eating the pie. None of that is really there in the, in the book. So it's like, wh- what's the difference? I don't, un- I, why don't you make her more heinous and more evil and have her see the murder and be more of an active participant in this, in this conspiracy to get right. him off? I just, I, nothing about this makes sense. And, and hmm. To yeah. go back to what I was be- saying, like, you start off with a, a murder and, and uh, during a sex act, and there's nowhere else for you to go after that. That's a good point. I do like the idea of making her more complicit if she was doing a hand ski, you know, <laughs> yeah. that she would then like, yeah, I do like that. I think I you like I would have appreciated that approach, but also like, I don't think that would have saved this movie. But the reason you like that is because then it gives some meat to the Billy Hallett character than the obese lawyer, uh, mm-hmm. because then there's something for him to dwell upon. Like, why is this happening to me and not to her? What happened is just as much her fault as it is mine. Mm-hmm. You know, there's something there where you could go, okay, that's an interesting psychological layer to that character that you could see uh, them, you know, having something to play with, have the actor something to play with. And as it is right now, it's yet another like easy way out just to have him be kind of a, a broad fat guy caricature. It's just, you know, the, the fat dude that can't stop beating them, you know, Doritos, you know, yeah, there's nothing, nothing to him beyond that. Yeah. As Dave was saying uh, a minute ago, uh, I don't know if you use these exact words, but the, the sentiment is basically that there's nothing inherently cinematic about the book, which is true. Um, but I think that the only reason you would do this as a movie is if you had a really good trick, a special effect to pulling off the weight loss, you know, mm. and then it's sort of like a gimmicky horror movie. I can imagine that version of the movie if it was like something just really startling, you know, yeah, like if or- they if they had made this movie now with today's special effects, it would look great. Or if they they'd cast Christian Bale and, <laughs> and then like and then pull then pulled the cast away. Uh, another Zemeckis nod. Boy, I'm getting lots of Zemeckis nods here. Yeah, and you do the thing where you just like don't shoot for for ten months and have your sure. actor lose like 150 pounds. There, there is something really fucked up and depressing about the makeup effects that they're not particularly oh, good. I'm the thinking shower about scene. The, yeah, and the, <laughs> the shower scene, the scales, the scales on the guy on the um, I guess it's the judge, right? The judge ends up with the yeah. scales, and it's it's described by his wife. In a in a an actually compelling way, like I almost feel like some dread as she's kind of breaking down drunkenly, explaining to Billy that her husband is now a reptile. <laughs> I'm like, okay, this is cool. I I'm into this. Let's let's. This was a well 
staged, well-acted scene. She was really good in it. <laughs> All Robert John Burke had to do was stand there and look horrified, and that was a great <laughs> place for him to be as an actor. But then you see him, and it's like, man, this is disappointing. This is subtoxic Avenger stuff. It's really disappointing. And if it was Stan Winston or, or you know, somebody doing like weird animatronic makeup combo effects, like in um, Tank Girl or something, maybe that would have been cool. But this was just sloppy, lazy, Z-grade stuff. He's quite clearly just wearing an elaborate prosthesis on his face and pillows under his little suit. And then when there's the shower scene, he just looks like, it looks like, like fiberglass. Like it doesn't look like (laughs) giving like flesh would be, you know, like he doesn't look squishy. He just looks like perfectly hard, which is weird. (laughs) Which is how I was through this whole movie. (laughs) When I saw that girl pull her skirt up. Wow. Uh, That is also something that bothers me. It's the whole, the whole thing with the great, the granddaughter is just like, this is, what what is this here for? I, I get see, that he's horny and gross, but who cares? Yeah, he's, he's he's tremendously horny. And speaking of which, you know, I remember when I saw this movie, you know, originally, again, I was like in military school. So, you know, I'm like in high school. And I remember that specific scene and also the the character, the, the Romani daughter, and being like, oh, man, that lady is so hot. And I had no idea that's Carrie Wurrer. Yep. Uh, one of the legends of direct-to-video cinema in the 90s. And I think I have seen her naked multiple times. I hate admitting that, but that's just a fact of growing up as a, as a, <laughs> a horny heterosexual boy in America in the 90s is you watched a lot of Cinemax. And she was yeah. in a lot of Cinemax movies where she took her clothes off. Yeah, the internet didn't really exist back then. There were no portals to to pornography everywhere you turned. You were lucky if you found some porn mags down, uh, you know, like in the woods or, you know, your uncle had some. But otherwise, I remember like a kid. I remember in middle school, there was a kid who his older brother had like a set of like nudie, like trading cards. You know, they were like baseball cards, but they were just for like pinup models. And he was like selling them at school for ten dollars a piece. This is literally just like a picture of a topless woman about the and size that of that man color. became Donald Trump. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was going to say, wait a minute. I think that that's a plot point in, in uh, the movie Dutch, isn't it? Doesn't he have that <laughs> that deck of nudie playing cards that he uh, playing cards? These were like, like tra- right. but these were trading cards. These trading had like cards. stats and shit on the back, you know, as though, you know, again, like it was like, you know, with measurements. He loves skiing. He yeah. enjoys crochet. Uh, yeah. That's sad. That's unfortunate. But that was, I mean, that's just part of, of <laughs> that's a, unfortunate. A, a young That boy. woman didn't want to be on that hay bale like that. Yeah, not at all. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just part of, part of a young boy's maturation. And hopefully my son will not be as much of a lech as I was when I was a kid. Uh, do, do you think, though, while we're on the topic, do you think that, like, internet pornography is far more graphic and horrifying than anything I ever saw at that age. Absolutely. Do you think like kids today that do have access to that? Like, it's just like, what do you think that's doing to a generation? Well, I can't. You're a dad. Yeah, I know. Well, fortunately he's 
only two and a half, and he's not <laughs> looking at. And he's porn already yet. addicted to to step sister porn. <laughs> oh boy, don't get me started on that. Yeah, what I, the fuck is up with that? By the I, way, it's it, it's. I mean, I don't want to spend a significant amount of time on the thinner <laughs> podcast talking about internet porn, but it's it's sort of just you're chasing the dragon at that point. You're like, I need something that's weird, yeah. <laughs> it's something that makes people uncomfortable, and then I'm gonna, you know, after it's all over, think of myself as a fucking monster. Anyway, I mean, I think that there is something to be said about the proliferation of pornography in the world. And, you know, the way that I discovered sex as a child is relatively wholesome compared to how people will in the future. I mean, I was watching Kari Wurr take her shirt off and <laughs> grind on Robert John Burke or someone of his, right. you know, John Stamos or something. And it not be sex. It wasn't, they weren't having sex. It was softcore pornography. It was, you know, you would see a breast here and there. And that was enough for me to be titillated. But that's all gone. Like that entire genre that Carrie Wurr made her fortune in is gone. Like the idea of an erotic thriller was so prevalent in the 90s. And movies like Thinner, which were just kind of like B-grade cheap horror movies that will get an ostensible theatrical release. You know, you, you go into the movie theaters, you come straight out a couple months later. But then it ends up being on TV all the time these small movies that people would rent at Blockbuster or something that had some kind of salacious quality to them, if they're horror, if they're action, if they're, if they're sexual in nature, those are going away. The idea of, you know, just a, a nude pictorial in a magazine is going away. And now all you have to do is pick up your phone or your, your computer and you can see horror content. You can see action content. You can see the most graphic sexuality you could ever imagine. Part of me thinks that because it's so ubiquitous and so easy to to get this stuff, that it will become almost boring to children. Yeah. Like, I remember furiously hunting through every channel <laughs> on cable, and it, they would be showing thinner, but I wanted to see something that had a breast in it. I wanted to see, you know, Stacey Dash and uh, Illegal in Blue or something. <laughs> I wanted to see uh, Bitter Moon, or I wanted to see... Um, any number of erotic delights that were you know, directed by Zalman King or something. But now it's not a hunting sort of phenomenon. It's not like, Oh, I, I'm desperate to see some nudity. It is, it is everywhere. So maybe that will create some sort of new puritanism that will bring people away from pornography and sexuality and make them more like bored by it. I don't know. I, I truly don't know. All I know is that, thank God, they're not making movies like Thinner anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see this in a, a theater? No, I, I was 12 when this came out. The, the, the book came out the year I was born, and the movie came out in 96, so I was 12. And my parents had no incentive to take me to see a movie like that. I believe it was an R. I mean, ratings don't even matter anymore. I... I, I don't think anyone cares about ratings for movies, but I believe it was an R. Um, oh, yeah. oh yeah, it was definitely an R. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm working towards something here though. Eric, did, did you see it in a the theater? Yes. Okay. Do you remember it screening with anything extra? Because no. I stumbled upon this. I was trying to find like interesting thinner facts before the podcast. 
uh, interesting thinner facts. And there are not many, as it turns out. There's not a lot of writing out there on thinner. I fucking I spent a couple hours today, like uh, poking around to see what I could find. Uh, Not a lot, but I did come across an article on Ranker that says, um, "Well, I'll just read it to you." While most of us probably saw Thinner on VHS at our local video stores, the movie actually got a limited theatrical run in 1996, where it played alongside Michael Jackson's Ghost, a short mm, film yep. extended music video starring Jackson in multiple roles, co-written by Stephen King and Mick Garris and directed by special effects legend Stan Winston. I saw this movie in the, th- in the theater. I did not see Michael Jackson's Ghosts at the same time. I didn't see that until like years later and like it re-aired on Fox or some shit. I've never seen that. What the fuck is that? It's weird as hell, dude. Have you it seen is... Captain EO? Yes, of course. And it's like Captain EO, only like much far worse. What is it about? <laughs> it's about like, so MJ is like, he plays multiple roles in it. He like lives uh, outside this this little town, which according to what I'm looking at was called Normal Valley. Uh, not too on the nose or anything. And um, he's like, like a powerful, uh, creative type that lives on the outside outskirts of town in a big mansion, and no one likes him. And and the mayor, who he also plays, also doesn't like him and wants him to like run him out of town. My memory of it is like there's a showdown in this big spooky house where it's just like Michael Jackson and his ghost family sort of dancing uh angrily at, at the at the mayor that's my memory i've never of it, but seen it's this in my life I very unreliable and i saw every michael jackson thing i thought <laughs> now that you mention it i do remember that because i did see this theatrically i do remember seeing the ghosts no shit uh, the, really the ghost thing theatrically uh, i couldn't have told you when it was but i remember seeing it on the big screen uh the only thing i really remember from it is uh is that michael jackson's mouth gets real big at some point and he like eats somebody or like it, it, there's some weird like crazy effect where like his mouth grows like gig- gigantic but i just remember the effect of his, his mouth getting really big and going oh that's really unsettling did they think that this was going to drive ticket sales because this was basically the end of michael jackson at this point by 96 it was all starting to wrap up i think i think uh history had come out near that but like by yeah. by 98 99 it was done History was like 93, 94, no? Well, yeah, there you go. So the, it, this 96 was the slow descent. It was beginning to to wrap up for him and all the... The boy bands and stuff were, exactly. were, were taking over. Yeah, yeah. Uh, electronic music and, and hip-hop and boy bands. I remember the time being like the last time it was an event that a Michael Jackson thing I remember uh, that Michael yeah, Jackson yeah. video. Yeah, was was out, and then like everybody was like on the news, like don't don't miss it tomorrow. It's I'm gonna air tomorrow. That, that, that kind of hype for it. Not so much for <laughs> everybody should go see Thinner so they can see <laughs> the new Michael Jackson video on, in the theaters. Yeah, yeah I just wanted just, to see the scene where the guy rubbed his hand on his face and said Thinner, Thinner, <laughs> Thinner. Uh, by the way, I like I like that guy's work in this movie. I thought he pulled off the old wizard character pretty well and you kind of felt his pain a little bit wizard. he was like yeah he was uh, like, like, like an evil warlocky kind of like <laughs> just like goblin man and i thought it was okay <laughs> i thought it was good i thought he was the hero of the movie and that he he killed all these yuppies yeah. yeah if anything if any character comes out of this unscathed it's uh it's that dude 
it's the dad. And I guess that that's the syphilitic nose. Right. Isn't thing. that the point of this? This is really just a satire about suburban yuppie mores and attitudes about the less fortunate. I think it's kind of that, but I think that it, it sort of gets muddled with all the mob shit that's in it, which is yeah. something like I always forget about whenever I'm thinking about thinner, like a major, major part of this story is that, you know, the main guy, Billy Halleck, he's, he's a lawyer who in the, in the opening of the movie uh, gets a guy by, played by Joe Montana in full Joe Montana late nineties mode. I, I could not think. stop thinking about fat Tony from the Simpsons. Watching. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's just a caricature. And then he, he kind of becomes the heavy at a certain point. That's like, that's, that's a subplot that's threaded throughout the whole movie. He's a major character. If what you're setting out to do is sort of satirize like yuppie hood and the fact that white folks are just mowing down Romani people in their cars and then like looking for an easy way out, like that's that's its own thing. But once you introduce a whole subplot involving like a gangster who goes on like a one man killing spree <laughs> at the at the fucking, you know, the encampment of these people, it's uh, I would I would argue that that sort of muddles the message. Well, let me go to bat for that. Because there is something to be said for the inherent corruptibility of the quote-unquote respectable person. This Mm -hmm. is a respectable white male protagonist immediately goes to someone who is a professional criminal, a person that he has helped multiple times legally. Billy has been... gotten off uh, of his murder um, rap because he happens to know the judge. He happens to know the DA. He has connections. He gets the the cop to lie. He uses his respectability to get away with murder. And then he gets a professional killer, someone that he has a connection with professionally and personally in in, in the movie, certainly. You know, they have that whole party on 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 the boat this mobster character is now his, his surrogate and in, in doing his dirty work. So there, there's something to be said for the satire of like how easily you can become a villain yourself when you are willing to use the system to your benefit and your benefit alone. But he's not really being corrupted, is he? He's an asshole right from he's the already start. corrupt. Yes. Yeah. It's not like he is twisted by this experience. He is just a piece of shit from the go. And that makes it, it makes it a perfectly fine read, but a miserable movie to watch because there's no journey. I hate to be the, the save the cat guy, but that right. book has a lot of truth to it about how stories are told and why stories are interesting or not is you have to like the protagonist and you have to go on a journey with that person. If you, if you don't like them and that nothing changes about them by the end of the movie, then what the fuck did you watch it for? It's not a porno like we've talked about <laughs> where it's like, well, I'm just watching it to see people have sex. There's none of that here or a horror movie where you're, well, I'm watching this to see people get killed. That doesn't happen here either. It's just hmm. boring. boring. Yeah. One of the, the only things in the movie that I really like is the scene where he goes to the, uh, I think it's the judge. The judge has the scales, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so he goes to the judge's house and the judge's wife is there. And like, you don't see the judge at that point. But I like that sequence. 
I, I find it like genuinely unsettling. Oh yeah, I said and- like we talked about this already. I said that that's the only scene in the movie where I'm like, okay, that's pretty good. The wife yeah. gives a great performance. Well, here's what's interesting. In my research for this, I found that um, the Losers Club podcast, which is another uh, Stephen King show, turns out there's another Stephen King podcast out there. Um, that's a, there's no other Stephen King podcast. <laughs> yeah. this no, but we 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 do love those guys, and um, they have a they have an excellent show. I would I would recommend it to anyone that anyone that enjoys our show would probably enjoy that. But they had an interview with Tom Holland about Thinner and about like what he would have changed about it or what he was particularly happy about all these years later. Blah 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 blah. And he specifically mentioned that they had a um, it was in the script that you would see the judge at that point, like in the bathtub covered in covered in scales and all that shit. And it was a budgetary thing. The fat suit and all the associated costs with that were just racking up and the studio was like getting them to cut corners. And so they redid that whole sequence where you just don't see him. You know, it's all implied and through the conversation with the wife, which, you know, he was saying he regretted. And I'm like, that's the fucking best thing in the movie, man. Like, what are you talking about? But we do get to see him for a little bit under like a under like a hood or something. It's like there's well, I gather it was more elaborate than yeah. I'm sure they had ideas to make it look not shitty. That have been nice. <laughs> what if it was good? That would have been cool. Oh well. I really think that's a case of no. I, I think I think that was the right move. I think this is more effective. We could have had a sequence where you go in there and like get that camera right up in that dude's scales. And I don't think it would have been nearly <laughs> as effective as, as what they came up with. Yeah. I think about watching Hellraiser and the things that click for me with Hellraiser are not the explicit scenes of violence, which there are plenty in Hellraiser. But what re- I remember about Hellraiser is the way that they describe the Cenobite dimension and what they do to you. And like, that's scarier than anything you see in the movie. And for that woman, the, the judge's wife to just break down and describe her husband turning into this reptilian creature. It, it, it fills me with, like I said, a sense of dread that I wouldn't get from even the best prosthetic. Right. She also plays it like, like she's on the brink of being destroyed by this, right? Like that, that's, that's also, there's an insanity to her ranting. Like it just kind of like ramps up from the, Oh, let me tell you some stuff. And it's, it goes from like, yeah, scaly skin or whatever. And then like when she gets like super detailed talking about the beady, you know, black eyes, you know, all this other stuff. And you you can't help but, but go like, God damn, I can picture the, the creepiest thing in my imagination. Then we see the judge later in the nightmare scene, right? Right. Where he's yeah. driving the car. Uh, yeah, you get and, a good look at him in there. And that that is nowhere near as effective as, as whatever you built up in your in your but mind. No. What was the what's the third curse? Is it is it uh leprosy? He was like elephantitising, right? He was like oh, his, right, his right, arm. right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I, yeah. I think in, in the book it was like like bad hackney or something. Yeah, it's severe it like he turned into a big pimple. He basically turned um, into like oatmeal, is I think how they right. described it. So if you had to have one of these curses, which one would you go with? A lot to consider. Much to unpack. Uh, I mean, the the getting too skinny, uh, I think, is, is definitely the best of the three. It would be kind of badass to turn into a lizard man, though. I mean, <laughs> I imagine it's got to be painful, but I think with the, the wasting away thing, that it would be super chill for a while, and then you'd be like, Okay, that's enough of this. And it would I, get like gross. 
you know. I'm also a very large man, so I think that I would have a lot more time <laughs> before before the end than than uh, any of the other curses. So maybe just greedily for me, I can uh, last longer. With you can that weather curse. that storm for longer. I think. Well, it would certainly be the least painful. I imagine if the other ones like elephantitis, like I would imagine that you're feeling your body like morphing like that like bulging out and shit and that would suck i think the end of wasting away would be painful i think that the as your body starts eating itself that would be very painful but in like like eric said that lead up that period of time where you are slowly wasting away you can eat whatever you want you can mm-hmm. you can do whatever you want. I would just go on a bender. I would just be like, all right, right. well, I'm just going to eat as much as I want. I'm going to drink a bunch. I'm going to smoke a bunch of cigarettes. And I'm just going to be a complete dirtbag because this is the end. And I would have the best two weeks of my life. <laughs> I well, just became Buffalo Wild Wings for every meal. It'd be incredible. <laughs> and, and you would be rewarded for it because do, doesn't he, they make a point, at least in the movie, they make a point of, of how uh, he was losing three pounds a day when mm-hmm. he was eating 12,000 calories. But then when he skipped a lunch to see what happened, he lost six. So the more calories he was eating, he was slowing the progression. The longer he right? lives. So, exactly. Yeah. If I just yeah. eat all the time, I might last for like a month. <laughs> three pounds a day is fucking bananas. A couple of like, well, last year I hired a personal trainer. I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to shed some of this weight. I'm going to fucking get in shape. It was fucking great, but like there was a point in there, like I dropped a bunch of weight, which I think I put all back on thanks to thanks to that Rona. But there was a point in there where there was a week where I lost something like four or five pounds in a week. And the trainer was like, okay, you know, something has gone wrong here. Like you're not supposed to be shedding weight at that rate. So three a day is just bananas. I did the big keto thing like four years ago um, and I dropped like 65 pounds and it was, it was great. And you know, once you, what's the problem with keto is that once you go off and you start eating any kind of carbs again, you just immediately put all that weight back on. And uh, mm-hmm. unfortunately I have, but you know, when I first started keto, I had that week where he was like, holy shit, I lost 14 pounds, you know, in a week. I'm like, I, that, that happened to me when, you know, in a week? of course a lot of it's water a lot at the beginning, a lot of it's water, but it's, you know, but I had that revelation that, and I, you know, kind of know that, you know, being a bigger guy going on a diet, you're going to have that first week where you see those crazy numbers and then it drops down to a healthy, you know, weight loss, you know. Of, yeah, of true. Like a, you plateau. You know, two, plateau. two to, you know, five pounds a week or two to four pounds a week. Yeah. I wonder if people would be mad about thinner if they watched it today. You know, the the, the same sort of folks that are, are revisiting movies from the 80s and prior and writing think pieces about how offensive they are. I, I do wonder if Thinner would uh, kind of catch a beating from that so. segment of. I think it's mm. so satirical. One, it's bad. And anyone who's sure. like, I'm going to carve this movie up halfway through, they'd be like, what's the point? It's not yeah. worth my time. But on and the nobody, other hand, nobody's talking about it. And it's not part of any sort of discussion anyway. It's kind of being rightfully forgotten. Yeah, yeah it's always got to be, you know, those those sorts of um cultural reconsiderations always happen when the movie or the TV show or the album or whatever are beloved. And it's like, well, actually the well, actually part is the part that gets people to click on these stupid articles. (laughs) Right. right. I saw one not long ago that it was like, 
It was about The Shining. I about how, made me so mad. Yeah, and Jack Torrance is like abusive. It's yeah, like, no it, shit. Yes, he's fucking abusive. That's the <laughs> point a, of the fucking he's story. He's the monster of the movie. <laughs> yeah, That's like, like saying, oh, I can't believe Freddy Krueger killed all those people. That's, <laughs> yeah. Why do people like him so much? Because he's a murderer. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it blew my like mind. Him. It was like a it was like a clickhole article. Like I could not believe like anyone would would how do you watch that fucking movie and come away with like, hmm, I don't know about all this. I'm gonna rip the lid off this thing. People need to be told. But that but, is yeah. that is the problem that is prevalent in movie criticism, but also the way we watch movies, is that we expect the characters to be likable. All of them. Not even some of them. Like now in 2020. Every character has to be likable. You have to turn on a TV show or a movie and they have to be morally correct. They have to be in some way aware of the grander scope of their existence and what they mean to the socio-political environment in which they grew up. The anti-hero corrupted people into believing that those are bad. Anti-heroes are bad. We have to get rid of those, which is fine. I mean, I think that we went too far in one direction with stuff like The Sopranos and Breaking Bad to where every character in every TV show had to be a conflicted murderer. <laughs> so now it's like, okay, well, every show needs to be about really thoughtful, progressive people coming to terms with the problems of society. And they, it needs to reflect my personal politics or your personal politics. Well, that's, that's that, nonsense. That is, that is a, a, for sure a, a major problem. But also the fact that the entire industry in, that we're talking about incentivizes that sort of thing because it's, it's all traffic based. Right. And, you know, the worst, your, the worst your fucking take is the more traffic it's going to pull in because everyone and their mother comes in the door to, to dunk on it and, it prioritizes the wrong kind of analysis, I think. More this is why I don't write about this stuff on the internet anymore, is because it is, it's all just junk and clickbait. And mm. not all of it, but a lot of it is. And it incentivizes all those things you talked about. It's just, it's, it's not the reason why I got into journalism in the first place. And so that's why I don't do it anymore is because it's just a hellhole of, of nonsense. Right. I, I got into that line of work because I love movies. I like watching movies. Yeah. You know, so thinner, thinner gives a really bad name to the idea of the black comedy about heinous people, because there is, there's a lot to be said for these stories about people who are reflections of our worst impulses, but, but also treating them as though they are the worst people. So thinner cannot be criticized by anyone, even if this was the most beloved movie of all time, because these characters are supposed to be evil. At least the book, the book is about these, this shitty guy who ends up losing the only thing he cares about and then committing suicide because he's a bad person and he got away with murder. And this is the only way to balance out morality. You say all this, like, you know, it, that should be obvious, but like fucking, if there were a post going around tomorrow, that's like, not only does thinner use an ethnic slur against the Romani people, but it's also a body shaming movie. Like that would not surprise me in the least. Like there's no fucking, I would not be any amount of surprised by that. So I agree uh, with what you're saying, but I'm not counting out any level of it's just like, grim. lunacy. But, but that, it's grim to but, that but that doesn't even make sense, though, the body shaming part, because getting thin is bad in this in this story. 
<laughs> right? It's like the, losing the angle is, would is be. I, I hate to story. write this person's take for them, but, <laughs> but, but but the angle would be like, um, why is he idealizing a thin form? Why can't he just be happy with the body that he has? And wh- and why why are you portraying fat people as lascivious? as uh gluttonous and as sociopathic he is gluttonous this motherfucker's like shotgunning coffee mugs full of mashed potatoes like it's like that (laughs) level of like weird like grotesquery that's going on i'm telling you it would not it would not surprise me in the least but no one's paying attention to this fucking movie they will after this podcast comes out scott yet another king cast exclusive I think that to wrap up, I, I would like to introduce something that we haven't really discussed on the show yet. But uh, as I was kind of scrolling around looking for stuff to talk about with this movie, I stumbled across the top IMDb keywords for thinner and <laughs> they they caught my eye. And, 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 uh, <laughs> and I would like to run a few of those by you. Sure. Um, we talked about how horny this movie is and apparently the audience for it is very horny too, because these are the top keywords associated with the movie. Are you ready? Yeah. Hit me. Female stockinged legs. Oh, no. <laughs> entire phrase. Pantyhose. No. Black panties. What thong the... panties. No. Panties. <laughs> no. Bare chested male. What? Throw that one in. Uh, this is one ball. scene in the movie where she pulls her skirt up, and it's not no, not supposed. Stephen to be King isn't even ranking yet. Stephen the, King made it in there. He he made it in there, but he was pretty low on the list. Um, he's in the movie. Down. He is in <laughs> yes. the movie. He plays a pharmacist, <laughs> right? Doctor Bangor, Bangor, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> come on. Uh, but then there's also fun ones that that I love that who would this so people what the keywords are like if you like search IMDb for these phrases then this movie would appear on a list of of uh, of movies and my favorite in there that is so random is answer the door. <laughs> there is so a lot of like, answering of the door. What's Some that movie where where that person answers the door? I'm going to type that into IMDb <laughs> and thinner will come up. Oh, it's that, uh, you know, the movie I'm talking about. There's a scene where one character, I think it's a guy, um, answers a door. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's a a pivotal pivotal scene in the film. That's the final scene (laughs) of the movie. He answers the door and there's that motherfucker who's been up in his wife and he's like, I got some dessert for you. Are you hungry? I got some some thong panties. panties. (laughs) I don't even. Do we see her panties? We do. Yeah, you see the panties. Yeah. Okay. Do we know Can't that confirm. they're a thong or not? I mean, you they, don't see them. It's I not think an, the suggestion is that it might be. It's a, not an incorrect class. description. Yeah. Also, we didn't Could mention be a the part. Back. We don't know. We just we don't know. Mention, we didn't mention the part where the guy, uh, Billy's coworker, is like, they all have syphilis, which is <laughs> really unnecessary. Well, I mean, it's that's readily apparent when you look at the one guy. The, uh, sure. Okay. Dad, well, he's just really know. old. He's older than anybody in in the entire movie. He's like three hundred years old or something. Yeah, but you don't get like that fucking. It looks like someone put a cigar out on the side of his face. <laughs> it's like huge, you know, festering wound. It's so gross. When I told my wife, I was like, I got to rewatch Thinner. She's like, That's the movie with the guy with the thing on his nose. Like she knew, like like she did not want to look at that. No, no, she's um, gonna have nothing but trouble. 
Yes. No. And I I was like waiting for you guys to stop talking so I could bring up that parallel. This movie and Nothing But Trouble feel like they're in a shared universe. The way that the fat suits like are just unnaturally not right. Uh, the mm-hmm. this kind of the weird, dark, mean tone to the whole thing. Uh, and then, of course, the cancerous penis nose thing going yeah, on. Yeah, Aykroyd had a dick nose in nothing. He did. It he, looked like a penis. He had a penis nose. Yeah. I think there there was a genre of movie in the '90s that was. I guess we can we can coin the phrase here: yuppie exploitation, mm-hmm. where essentially mm-hmm. the movie is about watching successful white men suffer. Right. And I don't know if it was and have to get married to John Candy. Yes, exactly. I don't know if that is supposed supposed to be a you know a, a result or a reflection of American self hatred after the Cold War ended. And well, I guess this is this is it. This is the best it's ever going to be. And maybe we should just self flagellate for a while. Uh, I guess that's what it is, or like an eighties hangover of well, all that uh, go go kind of exceptionalism ended up creating these monsters who can't stop consuming and that's really what what both of those movies are about and they're both equally unpleasant to witness Mm -hmm. just like doc hollywood yeah doc hollywood yeah exactly it's just all these movies where you hate the characters you hate what they do but there is underneath that a perverse pleasure at watching them suck on the tailpipe of life Uh, but uh, I think we can we can all agree that uh, thinner would have been better with uh, the Humpty dance in it. <laughs> yes, yeah. if you can get Humpty in your movie, I'm on board every time. If I'm, Aykroyd, and I'll, I'll even I'll even go to bat for nothing but trouble, which is like an insane fucking thing. It's to an exist. awful awful movie. But if Dan Aykroyd had played Billy Halleck in Thinner, I think I would have liked it more. Oh, that would and that would have been interesting. Yeah, nothing but trouble has a Mister Bone Stripper in it though. I can't say that about literally <laughs> any other movie. I do wish you know? that was more gra- more graphic. I think both movies could have stood to be significantly more graphic and been directed true. by Paul Verhoeven. True. <laughs> oh, God. A Verhoeven, nothing but trouble would have just been straight up rated X. It would have been no, it the, would have destroyed the cinema. and wonderful yeah. movie ever made. Yeah. <laughs> well, Dave, do you have anything uh, coming up that you would like to plug? Yes, please. Uh, I would like all of you that are listening to this wonderful podcast, who I'm sure are huge sports fans. Yes. Stephen King and sports a lot of crossover. Go together like chocolate and peanut butter, baby. Uh, I, I host a, a comedy sports podcast. It is a parody of sports podcasts. You don't really have to know anything about sports. It's just comedians coming on and, and, and you know playing characters based on sports archetypes and we have conversations i would say that it's basically the sports version of comedy bang bang and it's called full court chat it's on all the podcast platforms and we are about to wrap up season two of this show and and we do seasons you know of six episodes so it's very much very classy and and british in the fact that we only do six episodes every season And And you guys put on British accents, I assume, right? Exactly. Yes. I actually, it's mostly Sean Connery that I do. (laughs) Uh, So please listen to that. Uh, I think you'll all like it. And also, I don't know when this is going to drop, but I have a humor piece coming out in the New Yorker uh, on on the uh, the newyorker.com very soon about uh, Peter Bogdanovich 
writing liner notes for the Criterion edition of Austin Powers in Goldmember. Oh, fuck yes. So <laughs> I think we'll all really like that when it comes out. Obviously, it'll be promoted by myself heavily on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter is at Dave underscore Schilling. And uh, please follow me there to find out what I do. We will certainly send people in the direction of that post, but I got to tell you, we bank these episodes far in advance. This one is actually scheduled to air in 2024. So um, that might be a little dated, that reference, but uh, I think with the Wayback Machine, people will be able to find it. Don't worry. You know, there'll be plenty of Wi-Fi for us to ration in the wasteland in 2024. (laughs) You get 30 minutes to listen to whatever podcast you want. (laughs) Or download some more uh, Stepsister Porn. Yes, that's Uh, probably... If if I was in the wasteland (laughs) and I had to spend 30 minutes on an iPhone, I would just jack off. That's what I would do. (laughs) That's it. You may out there would got to get that browser subscription going. But then... then I'd have 20 minutes left after I got finished. So, I mean, I feel like (laughs) what a waste. Maybe check my email or something. Kind of a brag, frankly. Kind of a brag, yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Dave. This was uh, about the most pleasant conversation I could hope to have about Thinner. Yeah, I'm sorry I made you guys watch it, but I looked through the list of the stuff you hadn't talked about yet, and I thought, this would be the funniest one to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, guys. That was fun. Many thanks to Dave Schilling for that very delightful commentary uh, and uh, many not thanks for him uh, destroying all of our memories on how good or not good Thinner was. Yeah, very unfortunate for anyone that was listening who was a big uh, Thinner fan. I'm sorry. And, uh, you know, I hope you can uh, forgive us that. But we did not enjoy that. Maybe we'll get somebody on at some point who's like a big Thinner fan. You know, Mm -hmm. there's got to be somebody out there that we can get as a guest on the show who's just like, they're really big in a thinner and they can come plead a case. The next time thinner appears on the show, it's going to be somebody pleading a very specific angle. Governor Chris Christie. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. It has been a week. It, <laughs> and then some. Uh, okay, so speaking of a week, we have another week until the next episode. That, that segue sucked. Oh, man, that was... That was worse. Whoa. I should have just jumped right into like next week on the Kingcast. Yeah, Let's, uh, there's no editing uh, around that. No, no, that we're going to keep it in. Uh, I'm going to be embarrassed by that segue for the rest of my life. Thank you. Um, so next week on the Kingcast, we have our return down the rod to Pet Cemetery. Yes, we're going back to Pet Cemetery, um, and this episode is. Markedly different than <laughs> than the previous. The the last time we did Pet Cemetery, that one kind of went off the rails a little bit. Mallory O'Meara came on, started talking about Chuck Buggins. Things got out of control. Some things were said that couldn't be unsaid. There was many horn sounds when little <laughs> boys were getting murdered by trucks. It was uh, it was it was uh, a pretty wild episode. This one, it's it goes to some strange places, but it is it is a completely different tone than. Uh, the last time we talked about Pet Cemetery, so um, it's a little bit more somber. Our guest is a director of of some regard. She has a very deep connection to this story and uh, goes into that. I'm trying to think of other hints that I could give here. The one that I really want to give is that she has helmed a Stephen King project before, but I don't want everyone to assume that means it's Mary Lambert. It's not Mary Lambert. We'd love to have her on the show, but it's not her doing Pet Cemetery. 
Yeah, that'd be weird. We we haven't yet. I guess the the Tom Jane and D Wallace and uh, Stephen Weber episodes we've had people talk, but those are bonus episodes. This is a real deal episode of the show, and we have yeah. yet to have somebody on to talk about their own project. Right, 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 right. So it's not that. It's a very entertaining episode, although it does not feature any uh, sound effects. And then on Friday, for our our patrons who are subscribed at patreon.com backslash the kingcast, we have a very special bonus episode that's so special, I don't even particularly know what it is yet. <laughs> it, it could be a, a couple of different things. Could be a commentary, might be a mailbag episode, might be an early access episode um, for various reasons that I'm not going to bore our listeners with. Uh, we don't know exactly yet, but but you will be getting something special on Friday. Yeah, it'll it'll be nerdy, whatever the hell it is. And do we want to say that maybe something else special is happening on Friday or should we just keep our mouth shut about that for the time being? Uh, I have no idea what you're talking about. Uh, <laughs> there, there's nothing else that could potentially be happening on Friday. Yeah, Friday uh, the 13th. It's a big day. Yeah, big it is day. a big day. Lots lots of crazy things can happen on Friday the 13th. That's and true. So it, it might be a good idea to just keep your eye on our, our Twitter feed on Friday. You'll have to follow us to, at, at KingCast19 to uh, see what we may be dancing around. I don't want to say, <laughs> I'm not saying another word. <laughs> Cryptic. Yeah. Uh, right. So I guess that's it. We'll see you guys next week for a return trip to Pet Cemetery. Y'all have a good one. <laughs> <laughs>